Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The presenting sponsor of The Audible is Trader Joe's. Inside Trader Joe's is a five-part podcast series that takes you literally inside Trader Joe's. Go inside the TJ's tasting panel, travel to wineries in Napa Valley, and around the world to discover the next great Trader Joe's products. Discover why they wear those super fashionable Hawaiian shirts. You'll find Inside Trader Joe's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Audible. I am Bruce Feldman, joined, as always, by Stuart Mandel. We had a huge week of games, and Stu, you were right in the middle of it. Please tell me you had like 10 pounds of gumbo this week in Baton Rouge. Let me tell you something. As exciting as an atmosphere as that game was and, and how cool it was to be there, it, it was really hard to top the, the two meals that Andy Staples uh, arranged for us leading into that game. We were staying in New Orleans. I mean, it's just the best, it's the best eating place in America, Louisiana. It really is. You just can't get that kind of food anywhere else. We should qualify and say that part of Louisiana. I haven't been on all of Louisiana. That's correct. We're talking yes. about New Orleans, Baton Rouge. But yes, I got some good gumbo. We drove to the game. It was every bit as electric an atmosphere as you could have imagined. And it's really, I always enjoy when the, it's an open press box, provided it's not 30 degrees, because you actually feel like you're at the game. Whereas for instance, Ohio State, it's like a hermetically sealed press box. You're behind that glass. You, you would have no idea what it's like out there. As loud a stadium as I've ever been in, until the game started to get out of hand, obviously. But when it was still early, when LSU would have Alabama on a third down, uh, you couldn't hear the person. You know, if, you tried to talk, if I tried to turn and talk to uh, Aaron Suttles, who was sitting right next to me, you couldn't, you couldn't hear each other. This is that loud. So credit to LSU for bring in the energy that night did not really help matters uh turns out that <laughs> the the big test was not not that big a test i'm sure you watched the game on tv i mean what really stood out to me was that as much as we have made this this alabama season to be all about tua and of course he had a good game as well they still do what alabama has always done they just dominate the line of scrimmage on both sides quinn and williams as great a run of, of defensive linemen he's had there, I mean, he may be the most unblockable interior lineman they've had yet. Yeah, uh, you know what? I'm writing about this in my column this week. This Alabama's three best players right now, Tua, clearly, Quinnen Williams, and Jerry Judy, the receiver, none of those guys even made first, second, or third team preseason All-SEC on the coach's ballot. They're all kind of breakout stars. Now, yeah. They were all big-time yeah. recruits, though. They were all, but everybody at Alabama pretty much is. you know. So, And Quinnen Williams, let's be honest, I mean, he wasn't, you know, I mentioned this online, he was a 17th-ranked defensive tackle that year in that crazy 2016 recruiting class where it was 
Dexter Lawrence, Ed Oliver, Rashawn Gary. I mean, it's a deep, deep group, and obviously. But, um, we, you know, we, he's been – with all the talk we had in the preseason about how great the D-linemen are, and rightly so, you know, whether it's Nick Bosa or the guys – or Jeffrey Simmons or the guys at Clemson or a bunch of the other guys I mentioned, he's been the, actually the most dominant defensive lineman – he was the most impressive player on the field that night, and uh, you know, I, I, hats off to uh, hats off to Nick Saban and his staff. They are loaded again, and you know, this is the point I made: is LSU is actually better this year than they were last year. Yet, this game was more of a was more of a blowout than it has the previous two years. Well, I think two is the biggest reason why that's changed. Two is the difference maker there. I mean, they are that much better on offense. I mean, to me, the gap between Alabama and LSU has widened this year, and the gap between Alabama and everybody else has widened. I this came, this may come back to, to bite me this week. You know, who knows what Mississippi State can throw at them? They have a running quarterback, a good D line. It's the week after LSU, which is not an easy thing for them. But I don't see anybody touching Alabama. I I just I just think they're that much better than everybody else right now. You mean in the SEC or, or at all? I mean at all. Well, I think that they are they are shaping up to be, you know, that, that team you're talking about. But I wouldn't discount Clemson. You know, I think people maybe are dismissive of them because the ACC is not very good. But they are just absolutely killing people since Trevor Lawrence took over. You know, they, they I don't want to say he trolled, Tabo trolled Louisville, but he kind of did. He's got... He, he was just throwing Dexter Lawrence in there as a running back, and his own son catches a touchdown. You know, it's not, it's not a, this is, should not be a shocking statement to say that they may be on the same level they have been for the last four years. But that's it. There's nobody else. And you've seen on the Vegas theoretical lines, you know, Michigan's having a great season. Michigan's not going to beat Alabama. Notre Dame is not going to beat Alabama. I know the idea of um, Kyler Murray going against. Tua is very exciting, but Oklahoma defense, that, that would be a nightmare. So I'm with you on that. Um, what I just wanted to say also about seeing Alabama in person, I mean, I've covered a lot of those Alabama-LSU games. The last one I was at, it was 2015, when LSU actually came in undefeated and ranked uh, higher, and they just, they just um, absolutely stuffed Leonard Fournette all night, dominated that game. Well, it's that. That part of it is the same. But then throw this super explosive offense on top of it. Tua watching the ball come out of his hand. I mean, I really have never seen a quarterback that the ball comes out of his hand that fast. Even on his his uh, fi- he finally had an interception, and it was definitely a, a mistake to throw it into coverage like that. But it was like 40, 50 yards downfield, and it was a rocket. So, it was like a de facto punt, quite honestly. It was because it was at the one, but it was. I mean, <laughs> he, there's not many times I can remember covering a game. Where when the ball comes out of the quarterback's hand, you're just like, whoa. But he was, it wasn't just him. Also, I mean, don't forget, they have Damian Harris. They have Najee Harris. They have, a, um, <laughs> they have Josh Jacobs. They, they have, have Josh yeah. Jacobs. They have those receivers. They have Jonah Williams, who was the, you know, so Quinn and Williams was the uh, SEC defensive player of the week. And Jonah Williams was the offensive player of the week. I know people get sick of hearing about it, but this is what it feels like to me. See if you agree. When it was the BCS, you know, and you were focused more on two teams than four, there were a couple years where it just felt like, okay, we know who the two teams are. They're going to get there, like USC and Texas in 05. 
that's what this feels like to me. Like, I don't know who they're going to play in the semis, but I think, you know, we're going to have an Alabama-Clemson championship game. Probably so. Look, I don't want to say, you know, nobody's invincible. There's still college kids. You can get deflected passes, you know, momentum. There's crazy Well, you can get injuries. I mean, you saw for a brief moment when Tua got, yeah. You can get injuries, no doubt. Um, I mean, Tua is injured. He has an injured knee. Saban, as much as Saban would like you to believe he doesn't, when he ran that 44-yard touchdown, he came up gimpy afterward. He got knocked out of the game for one play on a shot to his lower regions, if you will. And they've had and Jalen's out right now, so Mac Jones came in and it was a disaster. So well, it wasn't that a disa- I, it, no, no, let's. It wasn't a disaster. It would have been a disaster if Mac Jones threw a pick six. It well, went disaster. from third and something to third and twenty-three to third and twenty-eight. Not to, a disaster. To fourth still. and thirty. Not a disaster, but not good. So yeah, injuries can always shake things up, but we hope that doesn't happen. I'd uh, love to see those teams at full strength, but if somebody can. Knock off full strength Clemson, like, say, my BC Eagles this week in Chestnut Hill, who you mocked me earlier in the season for saying they might you be You said Clemson's they had the best offense player. in college football. I did not say that. You did that. I, I said after plane, two games. God knows where, and you said they had the best offense, and I was like, are you high? I, I that mean, you, are, you are totally mischaracterizing that text conversation. It was, I just said after the Thursday night game, might have been their second game, that they will be the second best team in the ACC, and guess what? They are. You were ranting and ranting. It was almost like you had like a bunch of empty paint cans near you, and just like loading up on whatever's in them. Let me, let me like, actually, let me, let me uh, couch that. Syracuse also in the mix for second best team. Okay, that's telling you how god awful the ACC is this year. Oh, no question. So I don't think we'll get to see Clemson play somebody near its level until the playoff. But you know. They, uh, they have outscored their last four opponents 240 to 36. So I don't know what more you'd want them to do against. No, I'm, this isn't a Clemson issue. So I'm not, I'm not, this is, I'm not uh, downplaying Clemson. They're, they're really talented. They're, you know what? The areas where LSU is most efficient, LSU really misses, and I said this last week, Caleb on Chasson. That's their best pass rusher. Clemson has a bunch of pass rushers, and they got, they got better guys inside, and they got much better guys outside. The part that I think where Clemson's going to have a problem with with Alabama, and I don't want to go too far down this road because obviously there's a lot of football between now and then, is I don't think their offensive line is going to be good enough to hold up. I really don't. I mean, I think I, I think and look, I, I don't want to bring Ohio State because this was the other team that a lot of people were thinking at one point could could be in the mix here. Ohio State. Has, has better running backs than, than LSU. Ohio State's offensive line, we just had Ohio State again last weekend against Nebraska, and they had their hands full. Their offensive line's not good enough. I mean, I think their offensive line would get embarrassed by Alabama. And when you start looking at the pieces you need, I think, to hang with Al- Alabama at least, and I'm just saying hang, much less beat them, uh, I think you need the caliber of DBs that LSU has. I think you need the D-line that Clemson has. And you, I don't know who has the O-line who's going to hold up against that group that has the O-line and running backs, maybe Wisconsin, but they don't have anything else to, to, to stay in the game. I mean, that's what I feel like you're looking at right now. So before the uh, Bama-LSU game, we saw, I think, the play of the year in college football. West Virginia, Dana Holgerson going for two. Think about that decision in the context of um, and I wrote about the, the Big 12 title race Monday morning and how you can end up seeing West Virginia, Texas now twice in eight days. 
But if they lose that game because he goes for two, they're, I wouldn't say they're out, but the, the difference between winning and losing that game had a huge factor for both teams in the Big 12 title race, and he didn't even he didn't hesitate. They were going for the win. So Why I think we love Dana Holgerson? He does not care. He does not he care. Just... I mean, and, and not to mention the fact that the cameras caught him saying, you know, you want to go for the win? I forget exactly what he said. There was a expletive in there, but let's go for the win. Um, what a game for Will Greer. What a, you know, if you'd forgotten about him by any chance and the fact that he's in this conversation for top quarterback, that throw, the 33-yard touchdown to set up that two-point conversion was ridiculous. And I, I just think for them to go into, you know, so West Virginia has, has um, in the past, not been able to win those big road games like that under Dana Holgerson. To go in and beat Texas and do it the way they did, I thought was really impressive. And do it without their best offensive lineman who got thrown out of the game. So, Yandy Kajus. So, you know, good on West Virginia. By the way, this came up a lot uh, in the aftermath of that game. Tom Herman's comments in the post game about – so on that play you're talking about with, with Will Greer on the, on the uh, two-point play – he scores and he extends the ball over the goal line. And then Tom was not happy about it. And he's, and this is what he said after the game. I thought taunting before you cross the goal line, negated a score. I've got to brush up on my rules and get some, some questions answered. When you look at that as taunting. Now, some of this came up when he got flagged for, for horns down, but I mean, he's like, if we're going to call that taunting, we should just stop playing college football. You know. So to be clear, he's not talking about the horns down. He's talking about as he was about to about go into to the end zone. The he he stuck the, yeah. Yeah. So obviously it comes off as sour grapes. I will say that I have seen them wipe stuff like that off the board. I have seen for a play. that. For yeah, that? I've seen. If you start celebrating before you have cross you the wa- goal, line. have you watched that play again? I want you to well, watch it's it. debatable whether that would that would. Did you please watch it again, Stu? Hey, just watch I'm not it. saying it's right. Just I'm pause saying the, that I have podcast and stop, and then because I don't want you to go down this road. No, no, no. I, I have seen t- you know not on a two point conversion. I have seen. No, no. Touchdown. I don't want to hear others. I want to just talk about this play. Obviously, I would not be a fan of them taking that off the board. It's pretty innocent. If if you can. Uh, if you can, it's an emotional game. If, if you can you grab can, a cell phone is... out from under a goalpost and make a call, you should certainly be able to extend a football. But I have seen guys get not on a two-point conversion on a long touchdown. I've seen touchdowns wiped off the board. I I think it would be debatable whether this should qualify for that. All that being this said, this isn't even debatable, Stu. Watch it, please. I have watched it several times, and I don't think it should be called. I'm just saying he. It's not debatable. That's my point. It's, it's not it's, debatable. It's happened before. If it had happened, it, people would have gone ballistic, and rightfully so. Uh, but it has happened before. Now, should Tom Herman be raising that right after the game? No. That's sour grapes, and he's now getting a reputation. It's interesting how the whole image of Tom Herman has changed from the guy at Houston who gave every player a hug and a kiss on their way off the bus, and he had a very positive net rating i would say at that point to now the drew lock backpack uh thing in the bowl oh, yeah, game I forgot, I forgot about that yes yeah i i mean he's he he's not seen as a he's seen as kind of one of these villainous figures now i think as a coach look i, I like tom i think he's really really smart and i think a lot of the stuff you that may happen at houston 
you know, when you're under this spotlight, it's you get a different level of scrutiny. I just think in this case, if you watch this play again, which I've now watched like eight times, he's at the one yard line. He thrusts his arms up and it's not like this wasn't a case of it's the guy right, you know, on his heels and he's sticking the ball in his face. The horns down thing happened later after he'd already scored. It just like you said, I mean, I think in retrospect, he probably would not have wanted to say that, I would think. Yeah, and, he, and it's not the first time. You know, he has said things that have just kind of like, you've just been like, oof, that's going to, that's not, that's not going to play well. So, hey, if you win, you get to do that. But this was now their third loss of the season. I still think going into the season, if you told me Texas would beat Oklahoma and have a chance to finish with eight or nine wins, that's a good season. But obviously they, they kind of got people's hopes up after the Oklahoma game that they would, you know, contend for maybe even a playoff spot. Well, you know what else also did it, Stu? It's not just beating Oklahoma. They blew out USC. They beat TCU. Well, it turns out USC's pretty bad this year, and TCU actually isn't very good. So I think it's kind of tempered that. I still think this is a really positive season for, for Texas and what they're doing there. And I think what we're seeing from Sam Ellinger, and we've seen a, a bunch of guys step up. I, they lost to a good team. I think I still think West Virginia is the best team in the Big 12. So... No shame in that. Can't wait to see what's going to happen in the last three weeks. To me, the Big 12 is actually the most interesting conference right now in college football because of the November schedule backloaded as it is. Well, you've got Texas going to play Iowa State, who... Is the best defensive team in that league. Is, is I mean, keep in mind, Iowa State, West Virginia's loss was to Iowa State, and I want to say they held Will Greer to like 100 passing yards. It was Yeah, it was and what crazy. they really did was... Just from talking to the West Virginia guys, they outplayed them. They just played harder. There was a, a few, you know, little X and O's things, but it was really just the level of effort and how physical those guys are, and it's a credit to what Matt Campbell's doing there. So both Iowa State and uh, Texas, whoever wins that game, still has a shot to get into the Big 12 title game, depending on who loses Oklahoma-West Virginia, because each of those Texas beat Oklahoma, obviously, would have a tiebreaker there. Iowa State beat West Virginia, they'd have a tiebreaker there. So I agree. I think that'll be a really... I, I'll say I'm much more curious to see how that plays out than I am to see which of the current three-loss Pac-12 South teams will emerge from that logjam. Before uh, we leave the Big 12, yeah. there was some news on Sunday on the bottom of the Big 12, and that was that David Beatty was informed that he was being let go. Was, these things can often be very awkward, and this was. It got reported by a KU radio voice on Saturday that he was out. Beatty was not informed of that and was kind of, uh, I want to say it was the last one to know, but that was definitely awkward. He was informed by Jeff Long, the new AD, that he'd get to coach the rest of the year, but that was it. There is speculation, and from people I've talked to, I think it's real speculation. Um, there's something to it. Jeff Long and Les Miles, the old LSU coach, go way back to their Michigan days, and I'm told some big KU Donors really want Les Miles. We know he wants to get back into coaching. This is a school that once hired Charlie Weiss, as disastrous a hire as you could have, as it turned out to be. How do you think Les Miles would be as a coach in Lawrence, Kansas? I mean, I, I dismissed it pretty quickly on Twitter, and then I got back these people saying, You're, you don't think Les, you know, Kansas should be thrilled to get a coach like Les Miles. So you, I, I will be a little more open. I'll try to be more open-minded. You make the case to me. Why would Les Miles be the right coach for Kansas? I don't think I can make that case. Okay, I think, good. I mean, I think we that, do agree. I, 
No, I, I think they need a coach who's going to have to work his behind off to make Kansas a real player in the in the Big Twelve. You are, you know, when you're at LSU, you've got great resources and you're surrounded by a ton of talent who wants to be there. When you're the head coach of Kansas, you know your facilities aren't bad, but you don't have much resources in terms of you don't have a deep recruiting base. And you don't, you know, when David, David Beatty got there with his big Texas ties, old Texas high school coach was at A&M, you know, really tied in with Texas high school coaches. He wasn't competing against the rest of the big 12 for Texas kids. He was, he was hoping that Houston and SMU wouldn't go after the kids he wanted. I mean, he was battling with like North Texas. So, you know, I think to, to his, to his credit, he made Kansas a lot better than what they were when he got there. But the reality is still going to be the reality. Whoever goes in there is going to have to really, really hustle. And I don't know if that's Les Miles at this stage of his career. I really have my doubts on that. Some of the names that I think people will think, you know, could be in play would be because they want a guy who has been a head coach before. Beatty, obviously, was a first time head coach. And usually you don't follow up with uh, the same similar profiles what you got. So Neil Brown. Troy, I think he's a rising star in the business. We've written a lot and talked a lot about him. My guess is he's not going to want that. He's going to feel like this is not the next move I need to take. Similar, Seth Luttrell, Big 12 guy, is Oklahoma native, learned under Mike Leach, done really well at North Texas. I think he'd be a really good hire for them. I, my guess is he will not want this job. you know. And then maybe a guy like Kenny Amatololo, who's at Navy, they're having a really bad year, but he does do some different things that could give them could could be a virtue at Kansas you just wonder you know we know he wants a big 12 we know he wants a power five job tried to get in on Cal tried to get in on Arizona it didn't work for a variety of reasons no I think if, if Jeff Long can get any one of those three guys he should go in that direction but I don't know if he can get the first two maybe get the third one but I think the less mile stuff there's some some real things to it I mean, Les Miles, I think, would set that program back, not forward. And that's not to be mean, but like, it's like you said, you need somebody who is going to have the the relentless recruiting energy for one. But also, I mean, this is a guy who, who ran out his welcome to LSU because he just could not or refused to modernize his offense. And now you're going into a conference where you cannot win the Big 12 solely on running the ball and playing defense. I'm not saying you have to have an air raid coach. But you're going to have to be able to to be in high-scoring games. I wouldn't mind seeing what some of our colleagues were throwing out there in our Slack channel yesterday, that Kansas go triple option. You know, and go to Kenny Matalolo or, or go or Willie. He's a really good coach, too. Really good He's coach. a Midwestern guy. Yeah, maybe you get to bring Jay Bateman, his defensive coordinator, who's really good. Yeah, those are that's a good option. I mean, you know, I, I guess I had Ken on the brain there a little bit just in terms of the academies. But, yeah, man, he's not to pick or choose here, but Kenny Matalolo built up what Paul Johnson did. Army had been so down before Munkin got there. Army went into Big 12, you know, power Oklahoma earlier this season and ran – eight, nine, ten-minute drives and kept themselves into the game long enough to send it to overtime. You know, I just think, okay, you could do this one of two ways. You could try to bring in somebody who's going to do it, you know, the same kind of system that all the other Big 12 teams have or bring in somebody who will do it completely different and in a way that 
you know, that system is fundamentally meant to compensate for the fact that you don't have the talent the other teams do. I think it would be an extremely smart move if you, can, if you can get one of those guys. Well, you know what else is, you know, going back to the Les Miles thing that's a little bit intriguing to me is the timing here. So they like David Beatty. You're going to let him coach the rest of the year, but you wanted to make this move now. Well, Les Miles hasn't recruited anybody in two years. You know, he's been out. Early signing day is coming up fast. It's, it's just a month away. You know, if you're going to rip the Band-Aid off right now, do you think you rip the Band-Aid off to go give Les Miles in the next couple of weeks to give him a head start? Gosh, I really hope not for their sake. I mean, it's possible, but I, I really... I really think that would be making a big mistake. Not Charlie Weiss-level mistake, but big mistake. I mean, are you doing it, though? I mean, I know Maryland is out there, too, and maybe there's some— I don't I don't think there's a lot of crossover in candidates, potentially, but, like, do you have to make this higher? Do you have to make this fire the time you did? And I'm thinking out loud because I know how awkward the timing was this weekend because I had made a bunch of calls on it where— it gets out. You're making the fire before you've even before the guy has been told anything. You know, basically, it's not been cleared to him until the next day, even though there's been inquiries to such. So, I don't know. Don't I mean, you I, think? Don't I don't know this for a fact, but don't you think Jeff Long has probably had his mind made up for maybe even the entire season that he's going to make this change, and what he doesn't want is for him to beat Kansas State this week, and suddenly everybody wants him back. So go ahead. And oh, yeah, I, I definitely. I, yeah, look, he beat TCU a week ago. I suspect Jeff Long had his mind made up after they lost to FCS Nichols State in the opener. I really think that at that point it was like, I can't have a guy. Because if you remember, like they ended up winning a couple of games. They they thumped Rutgers. I know Rutgers stinks, but I mean, it's another power five team. They they beat somebody, a Mac school on the road. It was one of the, I think it was either Eastern or Central Michigan, you know. And I don't know. I mean, they're they're three and six. It's not good. But at the same point, you know, if you got, if, if you told me they were going to be four and four and eight this year, I'd be like, all right, that's real progress there. Oh, they're definitely better than they have been. Now, they're still bad. So I just think he, he came in, he's a high-profile AD who came in with a mandate to make that program competitive again. They're they're trying to raise money for a very expensive new facility. Um, and so maybe that's part of it, right? Get a big name like Les Miles and everybody will throw money down. Whereas if you get a less, let's say Willie Fritz, who's a fantastic coach, but not a big name, then, then that might not work as well. I'm just saying, don't make a long-term decision for your program based on early signing date coming up. Uh, you know, it's not the end of the world if you have to wait until... February to get a lot of your guys. In fact, is that a com- is that a commentary? Or is that a plea to Jeff Long? I am pleading to Jeff Long. <laughs> do not make this mistake. You, it'll be well. Here's here's actually a similar example that might. I'm not ready to say for sure yet, but might be playing out right now at your alma mater. You know, Miami. Very excited to get a Look guy. Look at you. Segue, segue Lawless segue. Miami was very excited to get a guy as high profile and experienced and distinguished as Mark Richt. And in year two last season, it sure looked to be paying off. But they are in rough shape in year three. And it's and it's raising the question of, well, maybe there's a reason things trailed off at Georgia at the end. And maybe Mark Richt is not necessarily 
the definitive answer for Miami. Well, I'll say on the positive side, because they did have a very good season last year. The Heat, Mark Richt has been very good at raising money for them and doing a lot of things off the field that Blake James, the AD, I think has to be commended for that hire for what he's done. I think win or lose at this point, Mark Richt has succeeded in a lot of ways that Miami needed. Now, is he the long-term guy to lead? I feel like I may have said this before. I don't think Mark Richt was ever going to get Miami a national title again. I don't think, you know, offensively, they are really lacking. You know, that's that was the side of the ball I think was a big concern. And quite honestly, it still is. Here, here's how many points they've scored in the last three weeks. 13 at Virginia, 14 at BC, and 12 against Duke. I mean, that's not Alabama. Those are not great teams that, that they're, they're really struggling with, right? So that is a big, big concern. And they've had issues at quarterback. They have some skill guys. Now, they've had some injuries, but they've really struggled on the O-line. I don't think Mark Richt is in any jeopardy there. And I don't think he'll be in any jeopardy for a while there. But um, I think the honeymoon is over there with the fan base because I think they're looking going – we need to get a lot better. He's going to need to make some hard decisions on offense. And those are the kind of decisions, I, as I recall, Mark Richt really didn't make the decisions. Now, you're not trying to please the fans, but there was a lot of frustration among Georgia fans with Mark Richt on that, right? And they had better quarterbacks for much of his time, certainly more talented than what, what he's got right now in Miami. I mean, Georgia fans' big complaint was that he just wasn't winning the big games at the end. Things had gone stale. And so when they beat Notre Dame in that big primetime game last year, when they I think the Virginia Tech game was considered to be a pretty big deal. But now not only has he not won the big games, he's well that frankly is not so much the issue right now as it is losing at home to Duke, you know, losing to Virginia. These this is not what Miami fans expect. Yeah, I think also it one thing that's kind of I don't know if it's a call it a mitigating factor. But Florida State has been on the decline the last few years under Jimbo Fisher, and certainly Willie Taggart's had a rough first year. So that's kind of neutralized it. I mean, they almost lost to Florida State as much as struggling as the as the Knowles are. So I think you put that on top of it, it's like, okay, this is your windows good. Florida isn't a great team right now. I mean, the big three had an awful weekend, by the way. Florida State gets blown out, Miami loses to Duke, and Florida gets whipped at home by Mizzou, who hadn't won a game yet in the SEC till this weekend. So there's your there's your basically recruiting climate in the state of South Florida. This is the window is good right now for for would have been good right now at Miami, and yet here they are. They are 78th in the country on offense. 78th. That's that is abysmal. You were behind Kent State. North Carolina and Colorado State, among others, and Illinois. That's pretty putrid. So what do you think? Can he dig out from it or not? What are we saying? What, what does dig out mean? You, I mean, well, me. I don't know what will happen the rest of the season, but, you know, get through it and get them back to, let's say, 10 wins next year. I don't think so. I think Miami will be pretty good under him. And I don't think. This is kind of why I didn't think he was, the, he was the right fit going forward. Like I said, he's done really good things off the field, but... I just don't think he's going to get have Miami as a as a playoff contender. So how long will they give him? I mean, the only issue here is, to me is they're okay, going to give him a while. They're yeah, going to give him a while. You've, you've just churned through head coaches every four years for a while now. 
you know, if you can't, if you can't, uh, if you turn around and do that with Mark Richt, you know, it's just, that's just, it's just starting the process over and over. Mark Rick will be the one who decides when he's done there. He's done, to, he's com- financially and, and emotionally made too much of an investment into Miami for, I think, the AD there to say I'm forcing him out. I mean, look, it, it's silly to, to even talk hot seat after last year, but I just think that, you know, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be on Mark Rick's terms and it's going to be that way for the next five years, I think. We made it this far into the podcast, Bruce, without discussing one of the most impressive teams in the country this past week, the Michigan Wolverines, just absolutely taking it to Penn State. The Michigan Revenge Tour has become a real a real thing, thanks to Chase Winovich, who, by the way, I consider to be the most quotable player in college football since Cardell Jones. Just every every week he's got a new one for you. Um, do, you do, do you at this point consider it to be... I mean, it's been so long since Michigan has beaten Ohio State, and especially in Columbus. It's kind of like, I'll believe it when I see it. But I don't have any X's and O's football reason at this point to think Ohio State would beat Michigan. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I and mean, we just had Ohio State this past weekend. They can throw the ball. Dwayne Haskins, we know, can do that. They got the run game going you know, against Nebraska. But here's where I, I think they're going to have a big problem. Their offensive line is really, really suspect. And I think Don Brown and Michigan's defense can take advantage of that. The other thing is still an issue is they give up a lot of big plays, and that's still a problem. Uh, Urban Meyer, Greg Shano told us they missed 20 tackles against Purdue. They, I felt like they missed a hand, more than a handful against uh, Nebraska. I mean, they were Nebraska was loses by five points. There was one play where it could have been a game-changing play where basically the ball goes through J.D. Spielman's hands. It could have been, I don't know, an 80-yard touchdown. Maybe they go up two scores if that happens. I think at any point after – people were looking at Ohio State thinking, okay, they're going to blow out Nebraska just like they blew out the team they played after after Iowa last year in that bad loss. And that didn't happen. I think there's less confidence in Ohio State. How much real confidence do you think there is right now in Michigan? Because at one point this year, I think there was a lot of people talking about how the Jim Harbaugh honeymoon was over. Not that he was on the hot seat, but people were really frustrated. What do you think has, A, changed about Michigan's offense, and B, I mean, do you feel like they're, they're just the best of a underwhelming lot in the Big Ten right now, or do you think they're a real team that could go hang with Alabama and Clemson? Well, we already discussed Al- the hanging with Alabama and Clemson. The so answer, you say no. I say no, no but just, that doesn't mean they're not, you know, that, that's, that's more a reflection of Alabama and Clemson. They could very well be one of the four best teams in the country. And... Um, well, first of all, we got to start with the defense. I know that it's not the first time Don Brown's had a really good defense, but this one is just doing things to. Uh, it's just it's. Um, I mean, Penn State's got Trace McSorley. They've got players on offense. They couldn't do anything. They almost got shut out. They're they're embarrassing team. So it starts with that and feeling like, well, as long as you got that defense, you should probably have a chance against anybody in the country. But offensively, this is. I looked it up yesterday. The most. They're, they're currently averaging their most yards per play since 2011 when it was Denard Robinson and, and Michigan went to the Sugar Bowl. It just feels different. There's the best way I can put it. They are not the team that the people thought they were after Notre Dame kind of bullied them. By the way, can I just raise a subplot here? Please. In, in, the, in the rush to anoint Michigan, people are now acting like not only did that Notre Dame game never happen, 
but that it's just a given that if they played again today, Michigan would win. And I'm a little perplexed by that because it's not like Notre Dame has curled into a ball since then. They haven't lost. And I would argue they're actually a much better team than they were that day because they weren't playing Ian Book then and they didn't have Dexter Williams then. Like they're, Michigan has gotten a lot better, but so has Notre Dame. Who are these people you're pointing out to? I want names. I see it every weekend on Twitter. I see, I see oh, it Twitter, during the playoff please. rankings. I see. Have we not learned from, from Lord Gundy about this? Come on. True. That's true. Well, by the way, by the way, Stu, on the Michigan defense and statistics are for whatever, but so they're allowing 3.73 yards per play. Guess how many years you have to go back to find a defense that played that well? Uh, I also looked that up. Oh, fuck. But go ahead and give it to me. 2011 Alabama, 3.32 yards. Which was a historically dominant defense. I think that defense gave up like eight points a game. But the fact that they're the best team defense since then is amazing. You would think, um, now look, they haven't faced Dwayne Haskins yet. You would think that somebody would say, okay, well, that's an indictment of Big Ten offenses. But as you pointed out, they just played Trace McSorley. He's really, really good. Now, the rest of the quarterbacks they played, I mean, Brian Lewerke is not having a good year. They obviously played him. It's not a great group once once you get past, uh, it's basically Dwayne Haskins and David Plow, and there's not much right now. Right. I do think the Big Ten as a whole has been a whole bunch of disappointments. You expected Penn State to be better than this. You expected Wisconsin to be better than this. Um, Michigan you expected State, Michigan State's offense to be a lot better than this. Sure. You know, you're talking about the West, where Northwestern could be. They actually are in the driver's seat to win that division right now, and went 0 and 3 out of conference and lost to Akron and and uh, Duke at home. So that that should tell you where things are in the Big Ten right now. Just a bunch of underachievers, it seems to me. And the Michigan has emerged as the class of that conference, but they may have may well have done so either way. By the way, as a Northwestern diehard, will you be on the trip? This weekend to lovely Iowa City. That's our game this weekend. Tell me you're going. You're asking me if I'm going? Yes. No, I'm not going to Iowa City this weekend. I will let you enjoy that. It is actually a great place to attend a football game. This is this is how messed up things are, though. Iowa is a 10-point favorite in that game. They lost to Purdue this past weekend. It's their third loss of the season. I still think they've got a great defense. They, um, well, I wouldn't say great after the last couple of weeks. Pretty good defense. But uh, they are a 10-point favorite at home against Northwestern. And yet, they could beat Northwestern 57 to nothing. And if Northwestern turns around and beats two pretty bad teams in Minnesota, Illinois, Northwestern's going to Indianapolis. That's, 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 I mean, they'll be 5-5 five and five if they lose this weekend and still control their destiny in that division. That is kind of nuts. Um, it really I, is. I can tell you that my Northwestern friends are getting, friends are getting pretty... Um, they're looking into flights to Indianapolis. So... It's uh, it's becoming a real thing. Okay, um, maybe Nate Stanley will will expose them again this week. I don't know. But he he could. I mean, Northwestern lost to Notre Dame the other day. You know, wasn't like a a bad loss, but they lost, and they came out of the day in better position than they were before it started. So, it's kind of a charm season they're having right now. Well, charm might not be the word when you lose four games, but uh, unusual. We're having an unusual season. Okay. Do you want to get to the mailbag? I want to get to the mailbag. at the end? Okay. Here we go. We're starting Well, with first Eric. tell people the email address they should send. Okay. The, uh, the email address is theaudible at gmail.com. Unbelievable. <laughs> Four years of listening to me say this. 
and you still botch it every time. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Okay, I was close. All right, this one is from Eric W. in Bozeman, Montana. Hey, Stu and Bruce, would it be more or less controversial if the playoff committee did not release a weekly ranking and only release one ranking at the end of the year? Well, you know what, Eric? It would be worse for ESPN's TV ratings, So, and they're I paying mean, a lot of money. Yeah, they've got the show to, uh, tomorrow on a Tuesday night in between the, the Champions Classic games that always gets like, I don't know, million, million and a half viewers for a, for the unveiling of a fake rankings. I think it would be, I, I, it makes me understand why they do it. That would be so jarring. You know, people, it would be interesting for us. We would have to do a lot more guessing and speculating and, and trying to play it out only to, you know, get it, learn it that day. I, I don't think it's realistic. Now, I wouldn't mind if they didn't do it weekly. You know, basketball, was it last year the first time they did that? Or two years ago where they unveiled the um, top 16 team, The committee, uh, basketball committee unveiled their top, like the top four seeds in each region. I think last year was the first time they did that. No, it was two years ago. Top four teams in each region uh, as of a month before Selection Sunday. So if the committee wanted to come out this week and say, here's where things stand on November 7th or 8th, and then let it, let it ride from there, I actually think that would be kind of awesome. Hmm. Well, I th- again, I think people now are, we look for a reason to be outraged, and that show often delivers. So I think we're just used to it now. And look, it, it, I think it's kind of doing what ESPN wants it to do. Absolutely. Which is, drives the conversation and keeps I, the look, conversation Look, I was going. really into it for the first four years, and for some reason this year, I just find it to be very... Um, so far, at least. Anticlimactic. Yeah. Now, if, yeah. if there's a bunch of upsets this week and there's more uncertainty about how it's going to shape up, sure. But right now, there's a pretty pretty widespread opinion that the four teams would be Alabama or Georgia if they beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. Actually, that one would make it more interesting because then you'd have the possibility of Alabama getting back in it. But right now, Alabama, Clemson, Michigan, Notre Dame, with Oklahoma kind of sitting there needing somebody to lose. I think that's pretty much the general consensus. But if some upsets happen, then maybe this gets a little more interesting. And upsets usually do happen. Hey, speaking of Georgia, that we didn't really address the Georgia-Kentucky game, but Parrish Walton does it for us. Bruce and Stu, I expected it would get lost in the Bama to a love fest, deserve it as it is. But did you guys notice the play of Georgia's offensive line against Kentucky? At one point, Georgia was running out a true freshman at center and right guard and a redshirt freshman at right tackle and a true sophomore at left tackle and yet ran for 330-plus yards on Kentucky. I know Steve, Georgia's I actually gonna... watched a lot of this game. Well, let me finish, um, let me finish okay. this question. Sorry, sorry. sorry, sorry. <laughs> I know Georgia's going to be a heavy dog against Alabama, but Georgia's going to get Ben Cleveland back and now can go almost legit too deep on the offensive line. Should this give me any hope the dogs can push Bama around? Push them around? No. Um, one thing I think, one area that I give... Georgia big advantage over what LSU has, and I know LSU you know whipped them, but at least in terms of the Bama piece, Georgia's got better running backs. I am a big, big, big DeAndre Swift fan. He is fun to watch. He sticks his foot in the ground, and he's like no other. Uh, we saw that against Kentucky. Uh, he broke off a huge run. I think he averaged ten yards a carry in that game, and it's you know whole the field is a is a punishing rusher. That's a really that's a you know after having a great one two three punch, they have a great one two punch again with these two. Uh, young backs. I don't know, Stu. I, I don't think, I, I just don't think this is the year for them. And as 
as Parrish pointed out, I mean, those are really young, good players they have. I think that speaks to how they've, you know, we know they've recruited really well, especially in the last couple of years. I cannot be that optimistic. I think part of the reason for that, too, Stu, is uh, when you look at, at just how these teams match up, and I know last year when they had Roquan Smith, they gave, uh, they gave Alabama, obviously, all they could handle in that game. But I just think when it comes down to, you know, it comes down to to the matchup there. I just, I don't see them. I just think they know that Jake Fromm can't exploit them when they know what's coming for coming for them. I just think that uh, you need like a really really special quarterback. I think right now to beat Alabama or to to, to match up with them talent wise toe to toe, and I just don't think Georgia quite has that. So when you said what Georgia has that LSU doesn't, I thought you were going to say Jake Fromm because realistically, they were, you can't beat Alabama with a quarterback like Joe Burrow, who's frankly average. You need a really good quarterback, and Jake Fromm's a really good quarterback. He had a really bad game against LSU, but for the most part, you know, for two years now, he's been really good. But I think the difference is, like you said, I mean, Georgia had one of the best defenses in the country last year. Um, I, they're still very good. I don't think they're quite that dominant. And so I think they would, I don't know. We'll see. I think it could be, a, a, at least a close, a closer game than LSU, but no, I expect Alabama to win it. Now you mentioned the young players, the great recruiting. I, I mean, I think Georgia, Alabama could become like an actual, you know, back and forth rivalry in the coming years. Just not this year. And probably not next year. Not until he leaves. <laughs> you have to deal with him one more year. The question is from Clint Herod. He gives a biblical reference, Clint, which, quite honestly, I had to ask Stu off camera to notify me the appropriate way. Hey, Stu and Bruce, how has this Notre Dame season changed your thoughts on Brian Kelly? I've noticed a lot of media gushing about Harbaugh and this Michigan revenge tour, and rightfully so, since the Wolverines are playing great. But I never thought I would see the day when Notre Dame could be 9-0 and and it'd be such a quiet story. Kelly is on the verge of his fourth 10-win season in seven years, and making the playoff, basically making the BCS title game again. He's got a good point. Stu, you're the one who did the top 20 coaching list. You know, I never really changed my opinion about Brian Kelly, even while he was getting uh, raked over the coals. I did think he did a very poor job two years ago in the year that they went 4-8. and eight. But uh, he still, to me, was one of the upper, you know, I don't know what the exact number would be, but better coaches in the country. And most importantly, still the right coach for Notre Dame. And Pete Sampson, our Notre Dame writer, uh, did an excellent Q&A with him before the season where he admitted that maybe for the first four or five years he didn't get Notre Dame and everything that was so unique about it. And if anything, maybe, as you as you would probably guess, maybe uh, harped on all the reasons why it's harder there. Uh, maybe, like, lamented those a lot. But now he seems to be really embracing it. And I know that He's going to be judged this season also on whether or not they finish the job. He's, you know, if you, your biggest fault you would say over the last few years is his teams don't play well in November. We'll see. I mean, I think they should handle a really bad Florida State team this week. And then you got some tricky games against Syracuse at Yankee Stadium and at USC. By the way, so I'm doing this while uh, you were talking. I assume what you said was coherent. I wasn't paying attention. But I did look back, because I knew you did this top 25 best coaches list for The Athletic back in May. 
And it's interesting to me because I the thing I remember is you give me a hard time because I think in the wake of that conversation, I had said that I didn't think uh, Clay Helton was anywhere near this top 25, which you didn't have him on there. But I think that's what came out of it. You know who else you didn't have in the top 25? No, no. Did I not have Brian Kelly in there? You did not have Brian Kelly. Let uh, me read you some names here. Egg on my face. I guess I did yeah, change my opinion let, at some point. Yeah. Thank you, Clint, for for subliminally calling Stu out. Let's go through some of these names here of people that you had hired. Hold on. Let me try to put myself in the headspace of preseason. Kelly coming off a season where they kind of blew it at the end. Okay, go ahead. Mark Rick, number 12. Mark Rick was coming off a fantastic season. Who do, who do you think is a better coach, Brian Kelly or Mark Richt? Brian Kelly. Thank you. Uh, Mike Gundy, number 14. Mike Gundy's a pretty good coach. I, I don't. He's having a rough season, but I kind of expected that. So, okay, so that's a... That's yeah. Robert Petrino, Louisville. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, the problem with the internet is the internet never forgets. Gus Malzahn, number 22. Hmm. You know, that's an interesting one. Gus Malzahn. That was one I thought you were wrong on initially. Yeah, he's been to a national title game. He's, he was in the SEC Championship game last year. Is he, would I say he, Brian Kelly is a better coach than him? You know, I think I'd have to say yes. Yes. Uh, the one who is the biggest, and I think this is one you've gotten wrong. You have him on your list, but this is one I think you've gotten wrong for years. And again, it's not, it's not fair to me to be the one to point it out because I wrote a, actually wrote a book with this guy. But Mike Leach is going to be running away with Coach of the Year honors if this keeps up. What he's done there is pretty remarkable this season, considering everything that program dealt with. You have him at number 24. You think he should be much higher? I absolutely think he should be much higher. I think he should be much higher than about a dozen guys in front of him. I think he should be much higher than Rocky Long, Gus Malzahn, Dan Mullen. Well, again, here's an Petrino, example of a coach who has... Christ, here's Gundy, an example of a coach who... The last couple of years, much like Brian Kelly last year, you know, would have these great starts and then, and then not be able to close the deal. He's coaching at a place. He's coaching at an outpost where there's they have no business being anywhere near the top ten. None. They have no business being anywhere near the top twenty-five. By the way, you have a short memory, my friend. How many Rose Bowls did Mike Price go to? That's not a short memory. That's a long memory still. And that would be a that's twenty years ago. I mean, he took over a mess, and so he deserves all the credit in the world for getting them to... When was Texas Tech anywhere near being a top-10 team? Oh, Mike Leach, going back to Texas Tech. Yeah, he, my, my issue with Mike Leach, and I think he's a good coach, and I certainly... I mean, he, he helped create an offense that now half of college football and even some of the NFL runs. So if you want to do it based on that, he should definitely be higher than that. His teams, and this season, it hasn't happened yet are so all over the map that they'll go and, and beat somebody really good and then lose. I mean, remember last year they beat USC uh, on a Friday night, I want to say? Mm -hmm. They didn't win, and then they turned around and just got smoked at Cal. Stuff like that, losing openers to FCS teams. But it's not it's shocking really that they would... But, I mean, it's not shocking that they would lose to some of these teams. When you look at it, it's not like they have players uh, who had a lot of other options. I mean, they're basically playing with a lot of kids who probably are not as good as some of the guys at Cal. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're not talking about USC here. We're talking about Cal. I get it. You can't tell me Cal has a, like, some big, huge, there's just some big, huge talent gap between Cal and Washington State. I think when, for most times, about the only schools Washington State typically is going to beat in recruiting in that conference 
is Oregon State, and occasionally they'll they'll beat a Utah for a player. Occasionally they'll beat Arizona for a player. They're not. They're never beating Washington. They are not. They're certainly not beating the Southern California schools. They're never. They're you know they beat Stanford for Borgie, the one running back. That's like probably the only time in like twenty years that's going to happen. So that's my point. It, he's having a great season, obviously, but. You know, those rankings change from year to year because college football changes so much from year to year. If you're doing those rankings today, he'd be a lot higher. We'll see how okay, he finishes so out the season. Okay, so you're doing this today. Where are you sticking Brian Kelly? Is in your top 12? He, I don't know. I'd have to look through the whole list. Top 15 at least. Okay, but there you go. With with Washington State, this is looking like his, a little bit like his 2008 season, right? I mean, he, they just keep doing it. Gardner Minshew, they, they could have lost to Cal last week. They was a low-scoring game. He leads them down the field, game-winning field goal. You know, the week before at Stanford. I'm sorry, winning touchdown against Cal, winning field goal against Stanford. Speaking of Gardner Minshew, is he he in your Heisman top three? He is fourth. So the answer is no. He was in my top three last week. This week I gave that that spot to Will Greer. I don't think there's anything wrong Mm -hmm. with that. So who's number two? Uh, Kyler Murray. Okay. What do you have? Uh, uh, I notice I'm the only person that has uh, my, I have two Alabama players. I have two on number one. I've Gardner Minshew number two. And this week I have Quinn and Williams number three. Uh, I got no problem with that. I am a little surprised that you are not including the guy who is now ahead of Tua on the national pass efficiency list and who would set a rec- would shatter Baker Mayfield's NCAA record from last week. As of today, you know, I had I've had him, him being Kyler Murray, Will Greer, and uh, Dwayne Haskins all in my top three for a bunch of this season. But in the last couple of weeks, I've moved Minshew up because I just think what he's done on that program, nobody saw this coming, and he's the biggest reason why. Uh, and I just thought Saturday night, the game of the century, the most dominant player on the field was 92. So. You know, almost, I mean, my guess is Kyler Murray's going to go to New York for the Heisman, and Will Greer probably will too. So there's no shame in that. Well, no, that may anyway, depend on their that. games against each other, or at least one game against each other at the end of the year. Okay, that's one I wanted you to answer. It's an interesting one from Jim from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Hey guys, I have a question about head coach contracts. How is a head coach currently under contract to a school? able to break that contract to accept the head coaching position at another school before the current contract has expired. I'm curious how this can happen considering some of the names I've seen mentioned for the Maryland job. There's a lot of language written in small type in some of these contracts where the way they're negotiated, there's usually some flexibility in that. So I think by the letter of the law, some of these things, I think there's workarounds for them and this would be how they do in the contracts. I mean, agents are very good at at creating open pathways to, to for guys for upward mobility, quite honestly. Well, anybody can break a contract. It's just that there are then usually, you know, ramifications. Yeah, to it if, you, or if you were if yeah. you were under contract and you broke the contract, you would be liable for damages. But that's why they put the buyouts in there. It's basically a prearranged. Okay, if you break this contract, here's what you would owe us in damages. And I think at, at the same point, some of these things also they change depending on a date. A certain you know, a coach could be. You know, his buyout could be $5 million on January 1st, and on January 15th, it could be $1 million or nothing. And so there are certain little timing things. I'm trying to remember, there was a head coach who got fired a couple of years ago because it just, it was when it became the contract, when it became manageable to them. And it was way after 
people are like, oh, he's safe. Oh, no, he's not really safe. I'm trying to remember. I want to say it was an ACC coach. It was like two years ago. But um, anyhow, moving Sonny Dykes, on. Sonny Dykes got fired way after the season. Sonny Dykes was a, was a different issue, too. Yeah. But this was somebody on the East Coast, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Uh... Now, of course, these contracts, as we've written about, and Nicole Auerbach wrote about this, are getting increasingly one-sided. Agents are just fleecing the ADs, in my opinion. And so if you want to get a guy who's kind of sought after, you have to then say, well, if you leave us, you won't owe us anything, or you'll owe us very little. So, But if we fire you, we'll owe you $13 million. So it's pretty, pretty one-sided arrangement, whereas like a normal employment contract the damages would be probably considered to be fairly equal either way the last one is a little do you think there's any chance you'll go back to chicago at some point this season i'm going back there on thursday all right <laughs> on your way to iowa city all right well this yeah. is a perfectly timed question okay. from ruble henderson from colorado springs i've been reading and listening to you both since 2004 and i look forward to the audible every week thank you Thank you. Bruce, you asked about deep dish pizza suggestions. A friend recently turned me on to the best pizza experience I've ever had in Chicago. The pizza pot pie. From the wait, 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 you're leaving out the parenthetical, you New York snob. The best pizza town on the planet. <laughs> Thank you. Agree to disagree. The pizza pot pie from the Chicago. By the way, what a tick move that was, Stu. I, I'm really disappointed at you. <laughs> For what? For leaving that out? Yeah. You want me to reread it from the start? No, just keep going. Okay. Just let it be known what you did. I mean, you, I mean, I'm a little upset that you you butted Calls in you right out. before the big reveal. Okay, go. So the best go. pizza place on earth is the pizza. Oh, the, I guess it's a it's an actual dish. The pizza pot pie from the Chicago Pizza and Oven Grinder is the stuff of local legend. The building is understated and full of history. The first time I ate there was on a Tuesday night, 15 degrees out, with a nasty snowstorm, and it was an hour wait. I was not disappointed you can eat some great deep dish in chicago or you can have a story to rival andy staples and then he included the website and a video and told you to make sure to have cash because although they do have an atm in the tiny entryway so will you be able to find time on your before you make it to iowa city to stop at the chicago pizza and oven grinder i'm gonna look it up i mean it's it's gonna be a little tricky because our i think by the time i get to chicago it may be like 11 o'clock at night on a on a saturday night but I will uh, I will do some research to see if I can make this happen. And if you're ever in the New Orleans area, Toops, T-O-U-P-S, Meadery, please go there. You will not regret it. And gosh, what was the name of that gumbo place? And Chef Ron's Gumbo Stop, which is, by the way, not far from the airport. So maybe swing by as soon as you pick up your rental car the next time you're in New Orleans. Shout outs, Bruce. I don't know. We, we probably should be giving this guy way more publicity and way more praise given the, frankly, miracle he has done. Bill Clark at UAB. If you recall, UAB shut down his football program for two years. Bill Clark stuck with the program, recruited an entire roster of kids to restart the program, took them to a bowl game in the first year back, which was considered pretty amazing. But now this year, they are 8-1. and one. They are 6-0 and oh in Conference USA. And get this, if I had told you who is leading the country in scoring defense, you would probably have said Michigan or Alabama or Clemson. It is actually UAB. Wow, wow, wow. That is a good one. Why um, do you think his name doesn't automatically come up when people are like, oh, Kansas needs a coach or whoever needs a coach? You know, for a little while, Stu, he, um, he needed to stay in the state of Alabama because 
I think he needed to make a certain number of years pension wise as a coach. And I, I think he's got to hit that by now, like right now. But I thought there was a time where he needed to stay a f- few more years. It, I should say it behooved him to stay a few more years. And I think he's probably hit that by now. These are but, yeah. the details of coaches' contracts that only you know. Yeah. Uh, my shout out is to Andy Isabella. Do you know who that is, Stu? I do not. Andy Isabella is a really, really fast little receiver from UMass, like yourself. He is an Ohio native. This past week, he's put up ridiculous numbers really for much of the year, but this past weekend especially so. So UMass won a 62-59 triple overtime game against Liberty, and he set the school record for receiving yards in the game with 303. You'll be reading a little more about Andy Isabella. Hopefully you will in my column on Tuesday. Okay. I, I got to say, your shout-outs are much better than mine. Mine are kind of surface level. You go next level. I thank you. As always, again, send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Also, if you haven't done so or in a long time or a- ever, please go and you listen. I assume most of you listen to this on Apple Podcasts. Please go and give us a five-star rating. Leave a review if you feel inclined. It helps get the word out about the podcast. We'll see you next time. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like to thank our producer, Nick Fink, and we'd like to thank Kevin and the Octas for our intro song, Dangerous. You can download their music on iTunes or Spotify. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, what are you waiting for? Read both myself and Bruce and all our other great writers there. Go to theathletic.com slash the audible and get 25% off you can also follow our coverage at the athletic cfb you can follow me at sl mandel follow bruce at bruce feldman cfb we'll see you next time Get over here.